Hi, thanks for checking out this message from our River Valley Church family here in Boise, Idaho. We hope that it encourages and inspires you. For more messages, be sure to check out our other podcasts. For more content from River Valley, go to our website, rivervalleyboise.com. Enjoy this message. It is hard to come up here and talk after we encounter God like that, huh? It is hard for me to come up here and talk after we just sit and marinate in the presence of God. Can we give our worship band just a huge round of applause and thank them? What, what you guys don't see is that they get here early and they spend time soaking in prayer and asking God to show us all week what he has for us. So I just, I just want to honor them and thank them. And um, We're starting a new series today called Invited. Everyone say Invited invited to the table of Jesus. And what you just saw on that screen and that little bumper video, that's the heart of our church, is that everybody is invited to eat at the table of Jesus and be welcomed into his presence. And so we're going to be spending 10 weeks looking at the meals that Jesus ate, who he hung out with, what he did, and um, who he welcomed to his table. Who likes food? All right, we're going to be talking a lot about it, so I promise I won't be over an hour and a half this morning before lunch, so I'll try to get you out on time, because I know I got this wonderful bread, I've got this, these wonderful grapes, we'll talk a little bit more about them, but I also want to honor the person who made all of this, and she told me not to do this, okay, and I'm going to do it anyway, okay, so you've got to make her feel real special, but Miss Loretta Jones over here, she put all of this together for us. She had to deal with Tim and I and our lack of communication skills and giving direction, and so she, she, she uh, you know, fought through that, and it, Loretta, it looks amazing. It just does. So thank you for bringing this beautiful display of, uh, for us these next 10 weeks. So that's what we're going to be doing. I hope you're excited. I am. And the reason we do this, the reason we're, we're, we're really entering this series is, is God's put it on our hearts to continue to pursue a Jesus-shaped life. All right, we want to not just talk about a table. We don't want to just invite people in to have a meal with us. We want to do and say and live just like Jesus lived. We want to live a Jesus-shaped life. And, and what that looks like, I want to give you a little practical example up here on the screen. Is, is, is represented in a triangle. And um, at the top of the triangle, we have, we have up, and that's our relationship with God. That's our up relationship with God. And at the bottom right, we have our in. And in the bottom left, we have our out. The in is our relationships with each other, with our with our church community, our friends and our family, and the out is our relationships outside of our direct sphere and our community. And we're going to be spending marinated in that in and out, especially these next 10 weeks. So I want you to have a picture of that. So we're going to do some. I'm going to get you to stand up right now. We're going to read God's word together. I just love honoring God and standing as we read his word. So we're going to read these out loud. I'm going to read from the ESV. Okay, that's going to be on the screen. You can read another version that's totally fine, but on the screen, we're going to read three passages, and I'm going to go, I'm going to jump around, so it's probably best you just read from the screen. We're going to go Mark chapter 10, verse 45, Luke chapter 19, verse 10, and then Luke chapter 7, verse 34. So let's read aloud with me. Here we go, Mark 10. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost, Luke 7. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. 
God, we just thank you that we can read from your word this morning, God, that we can read the truth and the good news of who you are and what you've done and who you ate with and how you want us to live, God. Lord, this morning, we just commit this time to you. We want to worship you by the reading and proclaiming of your truth and your gospel, God. We want to learn from you. We want to be more like you. We want to live a Jesus-shaped life. We want to leave here transformed to go and love others, God, like you love them. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. So, how did Jesus come into this world? We just read three passages, and those three passages are really three of the direct references to how Jesus came and why he came. And in there it says, Son of Man. And what's important when you read Son of Man, the Gospels, it appears a ton, but it says Son of Man, and that is literally a reference to Jesus being man, that, that God came down from heaven in the form of man, and he lived among us. But it's also a reference to Daniel chapter 7, where it's the authority of God, that term son of man is the authority that Jesus had, both as fully God and fully man. And that's important as we reference the, this, these three uh, passages and as we look forward to what this table means, is that God was fully man and fully God. And in the first two passages, Mark chapter 10 and Luke chapter 19, it tells us why Jesus came, the purpose that he came. It said he came to serve. He came to give his life as a ransom. He came to not to be served, but to serve and seek and save. He didn't just come passively. He didn't say, hey, you come to me. It says he came to seek and to save. And that's, that's something that we have to hold on to, especially in these next 10 weeks as we unpack this. But then in Luke chapter 7, I love how Jesus came the how. How did he come? How did he do the seeking and the saving and the giving of his life and the serving? It says that he came eating and drinking, okay? He came eating and drinking. So for all of you that love food, that love hanging out, that love spending time uh, cooking and barbecuing and, and enjoying your time in the kitchen, guess what? Jesus is for you. And it's really simple. If we're to be like Jesus, guess what we need to do? We got to eat. It's awesome. But we, we look at this from 2023 Boise, Idaho eyes, and we don't fully grasp what this actually meant in Jewish and Roman culture. You see, sometimes we have to take off our current 2023 glasses, and we've got to put on what I call our Jewish glasses, all right, our Jewish glasses, all right? So everyone, all right, take off, take off your 2023 glasses, thank you. Put on your Jewish glasses, all right? That's the three-year-old dad in me right there. But we've got to do this because, you see, as, as Luke is writing this and Mark was writing this, the Jewish people weren't really doing so great. They had been in captivity, slaves, for some part of that time, for over 750 years. Do we realize that? Like, we think like 10 minutes is hard, right? <laughs> Man, that was a tough day. 750 years they were in captivity at this point. Still in captivity, by the way. Not only that... They had not heard directly from God for over 400 years. That last phrase in the Old Testament to the first phrase of the New Testament is about 400 years. So they were used to hearing directly from God all the time through prophets, through direct appearances, right? They had the, the temple and the Holy of Holies, and, and they're so used to hearing directly from God. But at this point when we read this, they have literally not heard from God for 400 years. Think about that. Think about that. And so as we look at these meals and we look at how Jesus came, it's, it's very, very intentional. 
It's very, very purposeful. You see, they expected that because they were in captivity, and Cass, you can throw that table up there on the screen, because they were in captivity, they expected a Messiah to come, a God-man to come, who was going to conquer the Romans. He was going to overthrow them. He was going to be this mighty warrior. But how did he come? We just read it. Mark 10, servant. He came as a servant, as the lowest of the low. They expected, some of the, some of the other, you know, uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they expected that he would come and vindicate and validate and affirm the righteous, those who are really, really good churchgoers, those who read their Bible every day. But what did he do? He came and he sought, we read that in Luke chapter 19, he sought the unrighteous. He was different. He was subversive. He was controversial. He was intentional. They came, they, they thought he would come and defeat their enemies, all of them. They had all these enemies throughout the Old Testament. But he came and he said, you know what? I'm not going to defeat them. I'm going to eat with them. I'm going to invite them to my table. And, and all throughout the Gospels, and especially in the book of Luke, you see that Jesus' mission strategy was exactly what Luke chapter 7 said. He was the eating evangelist, was party and eat for a long time, for a long time. You can see all the passages up there on the screen, all the people that Jesus ate with over eight times in the book of Luke is a direct reference to Jesus, a meal with Jesus, very intentional, and there's probably three or four more of them throughout the Gospels that aren't even up on that screen. Jesus came eating and drinking and enjoying with his enemies and with the lowest of the low, serving in a very, very, very different way. I love what Tim Chester says. Check out this, what Tim Chester says about the meals of Jesus. He says, the meals of Jesus represent a new world, a new kingdom, a new outlook. They give that new reality substance. They are not just symbols or pictures of the new kingdom. They are the kingdom in miniature form. You see, what Jesus modeled for us by who he ate with and what he did was he modeled invading the lives of other people with grace and with love and then allowing others to invade our life and be a part of it. And what, what really stands out about that is that all of the religious leaders, all of the, the hierarchy of, of the Jewish culture was all about separating yourself from the, from the low, separating yourself from the sinful. And Jesus said, no, I'm coming to be a part of that. I'm coming to change that. I'm coming, coming to not only have my, those, those in relationships, where our community relationship, but I'm going to go out. I'm going to seek people. I'm going to seek after people. I'm going to invade their space. So that's good news, right? It's good news for me. Hope that's good news for you. Jesus came eating, evangelizing through meals. So, I think we can do that, right? Everyone like to eat? We love to eat, right? All right, tell me some of your favorite foods. Come on, crowd participation time, and I will sit here until I get some. But tell me, yell it out. Give, on, give me some favorite foods. Mark, I know. Wings. wings. Mark is wings. Who, who else got favorite foods? Tri-tip. Tri-tip. Thank you, Rob. Thank you, Rob. What else? Come on. What is it, David? Brisket. Oh, man, we're heavy on the meat. Anyone like? <laughs> cookies? Miss Lynn, cookies? Who else? Come on, teen section, wake up. Bread? Bread. Mm. Now, I will tell you, Corey, 
This is real bread, okay? You can't have it right now because we need it, all right? But it's real bread, all right? So we all love food, right? We all love food. Did you know, I'm going to read you some crazy stats about food. I I loved researching this message and this series. 52% of people love food more than they love anything else in this world. Just, this is not, this is, these are psych, social studies, psychology, clinical trials. 52% of people, look to the left and your right. About half of you love food more than you love the person to your left or right. Okay, that's real. I don't want to divide any marriages. We just had a marriage conference yesterday, but that's real. Food never fought with you, you know? Food never told you you were wrong. <laughs> maybe, maybe in the kitchen if you're not so good, right? You know, 54% of people, this, this one was crazy to me, 54% said that they would do anything to acquire the food that they loved the most. That included fear of overcoming any of their greatest fears, fear of spiders, heights, public speaking. They would do all those things so they could have one more of their favorite meal. That's nuts to me. I would not do that, but that was nuts. Did you know that one-third of people admit to stealing food from their workplace? Okay, that's crazy. So, Tim, you know, we've got some staff here. One-third of us have stolen food from our workplace. Okay. <laughs> Okay, and then about one in every five people, this one is kind of gross, have taken their favorite food out of a trash can to eat. One in five. Look around in your row. In every row, there's about five or six of you. One of you has done this, okay? I'm not saying who. And then I- I've seen this one, actually. I've seen this one and heard about this one. But the average person would drive 254 miles to get their favorite food. Now... I didn't think that that was true, but having lived in Idaho, Idahoans have this crazy obsession, some of you guys, with In-N-Out Burger, and you drive all the way to Salt Lake City or wherever, a town in Utah, I don't even know, but I, like, people were like, what are you doing on Saturday? Well, we're driving to wherever, like seven hours to go get In-N-Out, and I go, it's not, as a Californian, you know, it's not that good, okay? It's not that good, and I know I'm the minority. It's cheap, and it's consistent. My wife and I, we might have an argument about this because she loves it, but it's not that. She's not here, so I can say whatever I want. <laughs> she's not here. <laughs> she probably won't watch online either, so I'm good. But they, we can have whatever we want. Now, I know we're getting two new in and outs, which is, I think some of you are excited about. It's fine, but it's not that good. Okay, don't, you're going to wait like in 40 minutes for that, and it's not that good. But we love food. Yeah? Let me tell you about meals, researching meals what a meal means, what the significance of a meal is. Did you know that 50% of American meals, that's all the meals in America every day, 50% of meals are eaten by yourself or alone. That's not good. That's not good. The devil's winning there. Did you know that one in five meals, 20%, are eaten alone in your car? You don't even have time to enjoy it. You're just rushing from one thing to the next. The average American family eats less than five meals together per week. Average American family eats less than five meals together a week. And did you know that clinical research, this is secular, non-Christian clinical research, all of these stats are, says that children who eat dinner with their parents more than five times per week, they have less trouble with drugs, alcohol, eating disorders, social anxiety, and the list goes on. You think meals are important? Dr. Leonard Sachs wrote a book called The Collapse of Parenting. He identifies three things where the, the American family has been attacked over the years. He's a clinical psychologist, and he says that the, the number one reason that the American family is in shambles is because we've lost the dinner table. We've lost the dinner table. We've put TV on during it. We've, we've just not had it at all. 
we're too busy, sports is taking place, extracurricular activities is taking place, work is taking our place. And I, I love this quote of some of the research I was reading through. It says, again, this is a secular quote. This is not a Christian quote, and I did that intentionally. Eating alone is alienating. The table acts as a unifier, a place of community. It can radically shift people's perspectives. It reduces people's perceptions of inequality. And diners tend to view those of different races, genders, and socioeconomic backgrounds as more equal than they would in other social scenarios. You know what's crazy? Jesus knew this about 2,000 years ago. Don't you love when like, the, the science and the psychology just totally affirms everything that Jesus stood for and everything the Bible says? It's weird how that works, right? It's weird how the science just leads and points back to what Jesus did and said and who he was. I love that. So as we go on this journey, we talk about meals, I want you to understand the significance. I want you to understand the significance of food and meals. And again, we've got to put our Jewish glasses on. I know they're still on, by the way. And we've got to look at what a Jewish meal was like. So high schoolers and college students, we're going to do about two or three more minutes of painful background. Can you handle that? Okay, I got a nod, one nod, one nod. Okay, so a Jewish home. Check, check these pictures out, okay? This was a typical Jewish home, all right? You had an open courtyard, you had some other areas. You, there's your stable and your, you know, your, your manger. And you see up there at the top, there's a table in a U-shape. And you can see that there's a, typically was where main road just going in and out, and people are coming in, servants, guests, family members. It's, all, it's just this big thing, but there is that table that was accessible and could be viewed by so many. And they didn't eat on a high table like this. They ate on a lower table. Cash, you can go to the next one, okay? You see that there's another depiction. You see that courtyard area and in a reception hall. Those were two of the typical places that a meal would take place. So lots of commotion, lots of open areas, lots of access to these meals. The servants and, and the people passing by would see who was eating at these meals, okay? It was a big deal in Jewish culture. Next one, Cass. Okay, there's another example of that open area. Next one, Cass. And then you can see here this lounging style. You see Jewish meals would go on for hours. They had worked their long day till the sun went down. And I'm not, not even kidding. It was like if you've ever been to Italy and you've eaten an Italian meal, and those are the best meals, right? They eat for hours. And you're going, wait, is this the third dinner or the fourth dinner? That was what a Jewish meal was like. This wasn't just food. This wasn't just you know, a, an hour meal, this was literally a social event that showed who was accepted and invited and welcomed at this table. You can see this next picture is a little more real, is a depiction. And by the way, Loretta, I, you nailed it again. Just look at your decor, exactly how it was up there. But you can see that there's the pillows, okay? The reason for the U-shape was that the servants would come uh, up there in the middle and they would serve the food, they would refill the wine, they would refill the water, and they would lounge for hours, building relationship, talking about life, talking about God, building this relationship for hours. It was, it, was a, it was an example of hierarchy. It was an example of who was rich and poor. It was an example of who was clean and unclean. It, it was a declaration to the rest of the people that these, these are the insiders and these are the outsiders. The poor could not afford to have meals like this. The unclean could not afford to have meals like this. They were not welcome at these tables. In fact, Roman meals were, were that way. But you, you, you take a Roman meal and you like heighten it by a thousand to go to a Jewish meal. 
Because Jews believed that the, the meal was the very example or a depiction of the altar of God, that when they ate meals together, they were literally worshiping at the altar of God, that this meal was in some ways a literal sacrifice to God. And, and the reason that's important is because the Pharisees, and the Pharisees were religious leaders, they would be the pastors of that time, the Pharisees had heightened the rules when it came to meals. They had taken God's law in the Old Testament and said, you know, that's, that's good, but we're going to raise the stakes. We're going to create even more of a divide. We're going to say that if you, if you are going to eat with us, you have to be completely clean. And we think, oh, clean, that's good. I'll wash my hands. But you don't understand that they had to wash for hours to become clean. There was ritual cleansing that had to take place, that if they touched something that was unclean, they had to go and perform these, these elaborate washing rituals. And only the rich could afford it. Only the rich could afford it. The poor could not. See, these meals were an example of the righteous standing before God. And so the unrighteous, the sinner, the one who couldn't afford to, to be at the temple all day or be, or be you know, classically trained in, in, biblical, in uh, Jewish history and Jewish culture and Jewish uh, literacy, they, they couldn't be there. They couldn't be there. This socioeconomic structure was being created. And then you take that Jewish frame of thinking amongst Jews, and then you add in the Gentile aspect, and a Gentile is simply a non-Jewish person, the Gentile could not eat with Jews. Any Gentile could not eat with Jews. They were not welcome at the table. They could not be in the presence of God and at the altar of God. You see, because Pharisees believed that Israel had to be pure before God was going to bring their conquering king. This table was literally, every time they ate, was how they were trying to redeem Israel, to purify Israel. And so if you came and you ate with someone who was not allowed to be at that table, you were negatively working against the redemption of Israel. I promise relevance is coming. Stick with me. I promise it's coming. Realize that if you came and you ate with someone who wasn't supposed to be at this table right here, you were literally keeping us in captivity if you were a Jew. Realize that. So, it was a big deal, okay? We just go out to Idaho Pizza after lunch and have a lunch buffet, and it's great. But it was a big deal. So who did Jesus eat with? Who did Jesus come and eat with? It was a hot topic. Everyone could see. Remember, they're walking by these big, elaborate dinner parties. Everyone can see who was getting to eat, be eaten with. You didn't, you know, they saw who got invited. Maybe it was this person, that person, a religious leader, a, a, you know, a king, who do you get to eat with? And Jesus answers this question so intentionally. I love this about our God. Nothing in his word and nothing about his actions were by mistake. They were so intentional. It was so subversive and so controversial because the people that you ate with, when you ate with them, it was saying, I affirm you, I accept you, I welcome you. I agree with, I, I agree that you, you can be a part of this. So, Luke chapter 5, turn there with me. Luke chapter 5. Let's see how Jesus answers this question. Who can I eat with? He says, after this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was large company of tax collectors and others reclined at the table with him. 
And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Who is Jesus' first meal with? The sinner. The tax collector. And again, we, we don't, we, we're, I like my CPA. I don't know if you like your CPA. Okay, I like him. Any CPAs in the house? Okay. But I like my CPA. But in Jewish time, the tax collector was the worst of the worst. Here's why. You see this money here and these records? The tax collector was working for the Roman government. The tax collector was working for the very people that were oppressing the Jews. Not only that, the tax collector wasn't just taking the money from Jews and giving it to Romans, but he was, he was double dipping. He would go, okay, the Romans want $5, I'll take 7 The Romans want you know, 10%, I'll take 12 And so not only was he working against his own people, but he was then stealing from his own people so that he could be wealthy. Who did Jesus eat with first? I mean, do you, do you think about this? How important this was that he said, I'm going to come and go to the people that you despise, and I would use the word hate the most. Who's your greatest enemy? Not just an enemy, but he's working. He's supposed to be one of you. He's a traitor working for the enemy. That's who I'm going to come and eat with. That's who I'm going to show is, is, is welcome at my table. And again, if you look at Luke chapter 5, verse 29, it says, Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors. And, and, and Luke says others reclining at the table with him. And then check out what the Pharisees call these people. It says, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? They call them sinners. Not very welcoming, huh? If, if we try and contextualize this for us, if we try and understand what it would have meant to the Jewish people for Jesus' first meal to be with a tax collector, the only way that I can understand it is, you know, I, I'm, I'm old enough to remember where I was on September 11th, 2001. Some of you are. I still remember exactly where I was. I was like 10 years old. And that was an awful day. But it would be, it would be like just a couple years after that or even right now going, hey, you know what? I'm not just not for America. I'm going to go eat with and fund the enemy, Al-Qaeda. Right? I'm going to go eat with and fund them. Can you imagine that? If, I, if, I were, if someone here had lost someone on September 11th and I was funding and actively working with the people that caused that pain on you, that's what Jesus was doing. That's who was welcome at his table. It's the first meal that Jesus ate, and it's very intentional. It's very subversive because when the question was asked, who can I eat with Jesus, he didn't answer it with words. He answered it with actions, and he said, who can you eat with? The very worst person that comes to your mind right now. That's not only who you can eat with, who you need to eat with. Who you need to eat with. Well, you see, Israel, the Jewish people, they had forgotten this. They had forgotten their calling. And I think, if I'm being honest with you, sometimes I do too. 
I am very comfortable eating with my own people. We are comfortable with people like us. But what they forget is that in Genesis chapter 12, God established a covenant with them, not because of anything they had done, but, but just to bless them. You can see there that it says that, that God is going to make them into a great nation. In Genesis chapter 12, it says, so that you will be a blessing. It goes on later to say, and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In the origination of the Jewish nation, God said, it's not for you, but it's for everybody else. They forgot that. Isaiah echoes this in Isaiah chapter 25. In Isaiah chapter 25, verse 6, he says, On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine for all peoples. All peoples. In God's kingdom, all people are welcome. You see, the religious elite of Jesus' day had created division they had created separation. They had created a system that was unsustainable for anyone that wasn't elite. They had separated themselves from the rest of culture. They had separated themselves from the Gentiles, and they had created all for themselves. And in fact, they even despised and hated the very people that they were called to save. The poor had no chance. They didn't have the knowledge. They didn't have the understanding. They didn't have the money or the time, the resources to get cleansed to be able to come and be clean at the table. And instead of welcoming people to the table, the Jewish people despised and hated the poor and the troubled and the sinner. And I just wonder, in fact, I know in my own heart that we do this today. I just know that we create exclusion we create separation. You know, we look at people that don't dress like us or don't talk like us, and we say, you're not welcome with me. I'd rather eat with people that, that look like me and talk like me and walk like me. You know, we, we look at someone who might have a challenge, an addiction, and say, no, you can't be around me. Instead of meeting them in their pain and helping them through their struggle, we say, you're not welcome at this table. We create division. We create a hierarchy. We look at people who might be struggling financially or struggling in their workplace and go, well, you're just lazy, instead of coming alongside them and supporting them and helping them and mentoring them and discipling them. That's what we do. We, we, we take politics. This is a big one, huh? Oh, you believe that? I don't want to talk to you. Just me? Okay. Just me. Can I bring up a really touchy one? About LGBTQ issues. We don't even talk about that in church, right? Not supposed to. You're not, you can't eat with me. You believe that? You went to that wedding? You must not be a Christian. You can't eat with me. They'd be sitting right here with Jesus. Right here. I remember very vividly um, three or four years ago, I didn't realize how much my words and my actions and who I hung out with and who I ate with impacted other people and even the jokes that I told. And I was working at a Catholic school at the time and coaching basketball another lifetime ago. And I was at our, our home church, and it's a very big church. It's on the radio. I won't say the name of the church, but, I mean, a lot, a lot of people. We were sitting there in the second row, my wife and I. We weren't married at the time. And the pastor, in lightheartedness, 
with no ill will, with no intention of offending or hurting anyone, made some jokes about Catholic people. And I had invited some of my friends that week from, from school. And I was sitting next to him. And as soon as he joked, the entire congregation laughed. And his theology was correct, just so you know. It, it wasn't wrong. And my heart cringed because my friends were sitting to my right and to my left. And my heart cringed because I knew some people who might have a different theology than me, but who loved Jesus, who served Jesus. I served with them. And the thought of them being made fun of and not welcome broke my heart. Later that year at that school, we had um, a guy named Nick Vujicic come. And if you don't know who he is, he's got no arms and legs, and he's, he travels around. He's, he teaches a lot, and I got to sit and have lunch with him with about five or six other people. And you're just sitting there, and you just see his life, and you're like, wow, this is amazing. I just want to learn from this man. I remember one of our one of the people at the table, one of my friends said, hey, Nick, you know, you've adopted these kids. Like, what is your thoughts on abortion? And he paused for about 90 seconds. And he said, and he began to tear up, and he said, I have some very strong theological convictions when it comes to the topic of abortion. I believe scripture is very clear. But he said, I refuse to condemn and to hate unless I'm willing to be a part of the solution. And he said, I, ref I, I refuse to talk about this from the platform. One, of, one person asked me, well, have you ever talked about that in, in your messages and in, in your platform? And he said, I refuse to talk about that from the platform until every single Christian person is willing to adopt an unborn baby or a foster child. He said, if one third of Christians adopted a foster child, there would be no foster children. He'd eat with them. I remember that very vividly. And he said there, he said, we must stop hating and despising the very people that Jesus is calling us to save. And he said, that's what we're doing. Why would they ever want to talk to us about our Jesus? So that's the challenge for us. Who are we welcoming to our table? What does that say about us? More importantly, what does that say about our God? But here's, here's the, the good news. If you're a failure like me and you struggle with this, here's the good news, here's the invitation from Jesus is that you don't have to come and get yourself cleaned up. You don't gotta be perfect at this. You don't have to do the ritual cleansing, X, Y, Z. You simply have to come. Jesus' invitation to all of us is come as you are. Come as you are. And, and again, I love this because he doesn't wait for us to come. He comes into our space. He invades our space. If you read the Gospel of Luke, you go right before uh, the, this little interaction with Matthew and the tax collectors. Jesus comes from heaven to earth. He goes out and seeks his disciples, which, was, which did, the rabbis did not do that. The teachers of the law did not do that. He sought them. He went to their workplace, to their homes, okay? He, he sees a leper, and he touches an unclean person. He... He, he sees a paralyzed man. He doesn't just forget, for, or heal him. He forgives his sin. He meets these people, these rejects, these sinners, these, these lowly people right where they are. He seeks them out. So the invitation, the challenge this week 
is to remember that we've been invited, just as we are. And that we need to invite, just as they are. We need to invite, we need to invade, we need to welcome people to the table of the Lord. Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, I just thank you that you invite us, that you extend grace, and you extend mercy, and you extend acceptance into your kingdom, God, at your table, God, that, that just as we are, you would invite us to a meal and eat with us and love us. And God, I just know in my own heart, I'm so bad at this. But Lord, I need you to change me. I need you to change us. I need you to reshape my thinking. I need you to give me a heart for people that aren't like me, God, for people that I wouldn't normally hang out with, God. I need you to give me a heart for the hurting, a heart for the lost, a heart for those that are so in need of you, God. Forgive me. Forgive us for not welcoming people for not inviting people to lunch and dinner, for not inviting people to coffee, for not having lunch in the break room at work, for eating at our desk instead of with others, God. Lord, help us to be intentional this week about who we eat with and what it means and how we can show your love. We need your help. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this message from River Valley Church. Do you know someone who would be encouraged by it? Make sure to share it with them this week. Again, for more content from us, please check out our website at rivervalleyboise.com.